So I'm just going to warn you now that we're heading into some songs where I might get a little emotional. Okay. So- yeah. I kind of figured as much. So- well, before we get started with today's episode of the podcast, first, hey, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to open with a quote, which I don't think is something that I've ever done. It is from uh, an episode of The Wire, episode nine of season five. Uh, it's from fan favorite character Bubbles. He says, and this has stuck with me for a long time. He says, ain't no shame in holding on to grief as long as you make room for other things too. Uh, this is the 35th episode of the Anhedonic Headphones podcast. And if you're uh, keeping track by season, it's season six. It's episode five. I am your host, Kevin Krein, a.k.a. Kevy Fly, a.k.a. the podcast host that will not use his platform to spread misinformation about the pandemic. I'm not the reason that Neil Young and Joni Mitchell left Spotify. Just keep that in mind as you listen or what else you choose to listen to. Think about that. Um, Before I introduce today's guest, I'm also going to give a quick content warning. I don't think I've ever done that before. Maybe I should. I don't know. There's just going to be a little bit of a conversation towards the end. And by a little bit, I mean like the entire second half of the episode. A lot of talk about grief and some talk about death. So if you are not in a place where you are ready to hear two people talking about that, maybe come back to the second half of the episode later on. Otherwise, just be ready for that. My guest today, very excited. I'm excited for every guest, but this was a really great conversation. I had a lot of fun with my guest today. She is a writer from the Twin Cities. She has a new book coming out this month, the month of February. Uh, and we'll talk about that during the show, and I'll give more information about it at the end in the fine print. So without any further ado, folks, as you are able, please put your hands together for today's illustrious guest to the podcast, Rachel Brom. Thank you again so much for being willing to do this and also just kind of like getting your list together so quickly and making this happen so quickly because uh, that's not always the case. So I'm very grateful that you were such a proactive guest. Oh, no, I this is this is like totally in my wheelhouse. And I feel like I am listening to music all the time and actually kind of doing this in my head anyway. Oh, this is great then. Yeah. So this is perfect. So for the folks out in podcast land who might not be familiar with you and uh, what you do and the book that you have coming out, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point at length, but do you want to just give a quick introduction before we get into how you've picked these songs and then start talking about each each one of them? Sure. Um, my name is Rachel Brome. I live in Minneapolis. Um, although I'm not from Minnesota, so I can't call myself a local really. Um, how long have you lived in, in Minnesota, by the way? Just out of uh, we moved here in June of 2015, right after my son finished kindergarten. Okay. Okay. So it'd be seven years almost. Yeah. Okay. Um, I am a writer 
and I come from a background in journalism. I worked for a CBS news affiliate as a producer. Um, I did some a stint in marketing and uh, some other stuff. And then I've done a lot of freelance writing. And then I was a newspaper reporter, a newspaper editor. Um, I have a newspaper column that runs every Friday in some newspapers that I've done for 10 years now. Oh, wow. Wow. Every week I'm like running out of things to write about. <laughs> um, and I have a, a memoir coming out this month, later this month. So that's so exciting. Did the paper shortage finally end? Was, was your book able I, to be printed? I hope so. I haven't gotten any like latest updates. So I think we're still on track for the end okay. of the month. Okay. That's yes. good. I'm excited about that. Cause I was, yes. when you had mentioned that the other day that you were like, paper shortage. I hope things are still happening. So that's good. Right. And I know, yeah, I know it's at the print shop. Like I know like it's happening. So. All right. Well, you have selected 10 songs and I want to ask first, what kind of criteria did you use when putting this list together? Because you said this was kind of chronological in the end. So Uh, when you were going back through your life and thinking about music, how did you pick these? I kind of looked at it as kind of a memoir. <laughs> you know, as a writer, <laughs> I think it's, I automatically put things into songs, particularly into categories that I feel like looking back, these represent either a very specific moment in my life or a very important time period in my life. Um that kind of helps tell my story a bit okay all right i like it i'm excited i'm excited to talk about a lot of these um and there's it's it the it varies quite a bit especially like at the beginning into kind of the earlier ones and then towards the end you have a a delightfully eclectic selection here Off the top, Boston, classic rock, more than a feeling. Where does how far back are we going in your life with this one? So I am a child of the eighties. I was born in nineteen seventy eight, so I grew up in the eighties. And to be honest, this song could have been a number of songs. This could have been. (laughs) 
It could have been <laughs> Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. It could have been Thin Lizzy, The Boys Are Back in Town. It could have been Lover Boy. It could have been 38 Special. Um, but I have very specific, I grew up in a small town in Southwest Michigan outside of Kalamazoo. And I have a very specific memory of like hanging out in a garage while classic rock played. Watching the the best place. Right. right, Like you listen to what else do you listen to in a garage? Exactly. Um, like watching, so I would have been like, oh my gosh, four or five, six years old, watching high school boys fix cars while I sat like on a basketball eating a popsicle. Or wow, something. this is really specific. I yeah. like this. Yeah. So specifically, it would have been, so my parents um, went back to work when I was really young you know, because maternity leave in this country is awful. And I went to um, a family's house every day until I was like 10, 11 years old. And they became like my other family. And they had two kids who would have been high school age in the mid 80s. And so I just have all these memories of hanging out with these high school kids and their friends, like when they would come over and they were like my older siblings. Do you have any siblings or? No, I'm an only child. So hey, only child gang in the building. (laughs) Same, same. Yes. So I feel like this, this family who was like my other family, I still talk to them regularly. Like they are my other parents. That's that's wild that it was, you were like five, six years old. At a house with a bunch of high schoolers, though. That seems like such a strange age right. gap. And they were working, be, uh, working, working on cars. cars, hanging out in the garage, like doing things that like with them, like they, I remember like they would take me to McDonald's and like we'd jam out to classic rock and, you know, listening to Boston. That's so the, charming. Right. And it's just so innocent, but I feel like. Those some of those classic rock songs were my real introduction to music. When I'm tired, I'm thinking cold. I hide in my music, forget the day, and dream of a girl I used to know. I close my
Is this one of are these is this one of your earliest musical memories? That's kind of a question that I occasionally ask people. Like it puts them on the spot a little bit, and sometimes people can't think of something right from the rip and be like, "This is as far back as I can go." I, I think with it's the connection. Definitely, yeah, definitely way back there. Yeah. Um. So I didn't grow up in a musical house. I I don't play an instrument. My parents didn't play an instrument. My we listened to the radio like in the car, but that was it. So these, yeah, like these class, like Boston, more than a feeling, listening to that, sitting on a basketball, watching high school or six cars is probably one of my earliest memories of music. That's so evocative. I love it. I just, that uh, sitting on a basketball sounds wildly uncomfortable also, but. But when you're a kid. When you're a kid, you don't know any better. No, (laughs) no. And I just wanted to. I thought that that was so cool. I thought rock and roll was awesome and that I got to listen to it with these cool boys who, who knows, but (laughs) anything else about Boston and more than a feeling. Do you like, I mean, is this something you go back to regularly? Do you listen to a lot of classic rock in in earnest or even in like to be ironic or is this just like a deep seated memory from your childhood? Um, I do not seek out classic rock. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not pulling out a Boston album to on dazzle, a Friday night to dazzle the family. No, but I will say that if I am in the car and my choices are country station pop or classic rock, I'm going with classic rock. There's a good chance you will hear more than a feeling by Boston. You will hear more than a feeling by Boston. Or something by Foreigner, maybe? Probably. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think Boston is just, for me, it's that guitar sound with Boston. Yes. Well. Yes. And I think that that, I mean, that's one reason I picked Boston, but it's that guitar sound that drew me in, I think, as a kid. Do you have a hard time when things from, say, I mean, you and I are relatively close in age. Do you have a hard time when things from the mid nineties are now referred to as classic rock because you're like, no, that can't be, I don't believe that. Like, cause that's the thing that's happened to me a couple of times where somebody has mentioned, like I, I've heard a song on somebody's streaming station and I'm like, Oh, Hey, smashing pumpkins, whatever, whatever. They're like, Oh, oh yeah. It's the classic rock station. And then like my heart skips a beat just momentarily. Cause I'm like, buddy, that's not okay. That's I not have not experienced rock. that, but I imagine that if I did, I would have that same reaction. But then I also assume that it was the same for like my parents, maybe probably like, it, they just never didn't have as visceral of a reaction no, as, as I, I did. Let's let's make it clear that classic rock happened in the seventies and eighties. <laughs> it was always classic, even when it was new. Right, right. <laughs>
I think in your Twitter bio it says something about how much of a Cure fan you are. Is that correct? I am a huge Cure fan. Okay. If you ask me any day of the week what my favorite band is, I will always say the Cure. Okay. Um. So how did I mean how do how does one come to to like the Cure? How does how does one come to like the Cure as much as you do? And then you picked just like Heaven. So what uh what is it about this song? I have a very specific memory of hearing the song for the very first time. And I was nine years old and I was in the back seat of my parents' car and we were going somewhere, probably going to the mall or something. Yes. Oh. I mean, nine is a perfect age to get into the cure also. Let's yeah, keep, it, so- keep it funky. Just get those goth kids uh, indoctrinated nice and young. <laughs> Right. So this would have been 1987 and it would have been right when Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me came out. And, you know, my parents listened to like, you know, contemporary, easy listening yeah. in the car, but I was, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old. And I would, I would beg them to turn it on like the, I don't know, whatever station I wanted to hear at the time. And this song came on and I had no idea who the cure was. I had no idea what Robert Smith looked like, but there was something about this song and it was all the layers of sound. So you have Robert's acoustic guitar and you have Porl's electric guitar. And then you have the keyboard come in. You have Simon Gallup's bass line, which I think he's one of the most you know Simon Gallup's bass playing when you hear it. Yeah. Um, and then the drums. And it's just the way that that song had layers of different instruments just blew me away. And, you know, this is coming from some kid who I never played an instrument. I've never been into music, like performing. But I could not get enough of the sound And so I feel like I love that song, but I still, I didn't learn really who the cure was until a year or two later when we got MTV and I finally saw them for the first time. (laughs) And is this one of those cases where you heard the song on the radio and then like the DJ didn't come back on to tell you who it was and you were like, you know, I, I, I don't remember exactly, but I, I knew it was the, uh, some band called the cure. Okay. And I started buying their albums and I just went down this musical journey because, you know, as every Cure album is so different and you get pop albums, you get dark albums, you get really kind of heavy albums. And I became an instant fan and I have been ever since.
seen them live? I assume yes. so since they're okay. Did Several you see them? Times. Did you see them the last time? Like the, I think I don't know. Uh, this would have been twenty. 15 when they played at the XL Energy um, Center? I think it was 2016. And the only reason okay. I remember that is because like we, we were buying our house at the same time. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, I did. And, you know, I've seen them live probably going on 20 times now. Oh, wow. Over wow. my life. Yeah, more than any other bands. And that was probably the best show I've ever seen them play. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I, my wife and I went to that. And just kind of like, she really likes The Cure, and we were kind of surprised that they were touring and playing in the Twin Cities, and so we went, but we had really terrible seats. We were like really, really, really far away. Yeah. Um, So I assume the experience is different if you are closer to the stage or even like in a different area far away. Um, But yeah, I thought I thought they sounded good, and I thought that they, um, it was interesting to see how they were able to play a little bit off of, you know, they do have so many different styles yeah. throughout the, the, the canon, but to bring that all together and make it sound cohesive, I thought was really interesting. Right. And I think, yeah. And I think that that's one thing that people just, you might know of the cure and you know, a couple of songs, but until you really kind of look at their catalog as a whole, they kind of get a bad rap. I feel like I got made fun of a lot growing up because I like the cure. Oh, really? Wow. I think it's, um, you know, like, you know, I think that they get this, they get thrown into this goth category, which they're really not. Yeah. I mean, like it's so poppy at times, but like the lyric, like the lyrics can be very sad, but it's all dressed up. And it's very right. accessible um, right. to the ears. Um, so I got called goth a lot, which was hilarious because I was, I was, I was an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was not walking around in black eye makeup. I was like, a, you're you're control. you're doing athletics with like black hair dye, yeah. black eyeliner, not all at black, all, all black everything. You're like, I can't coach. I can't run in these boots. They're right. too heavy. <laughs> Um, not at all. So I feel like they, they're very misunderstood. And I feel like it, it was well into my twenties where I feel like everyone was still kind of joking with me that I liked the cure as much as I did. One, two, three, four. Do you like American music? I like American music. Don't you like American music? The Violent Femmes, um, are we still in kind of like your early, like preteen years 
yep, here so, with this one? Um, okay. So I'm in middle school now. Okay. And in Michigan? In Michigan. Okay. Um so this would have been like nineteen ninety-one and I was in seventh grade and a few of us girls um so we had a, I grew up in a town that had a really good soccer program. Um and this high school soccer coach who was pretty young himself at the time would pluck uh, kids who he knew were going to be um, who would benefit in middle school from practicing with the high school team. And then they would, when they got to high school, it would be like natural, right? To sure. play varsity soccer. So there's like five of us and uh, every day we would have to go practice with the high school kids after school. And there were two albums that he would play during soccer practice. The first one was ACDC's Back in Black, which I never, ever want to hear again. There you go. (laughs) And then the other- Talk about classic rock. Right. Which I try to make it through every day without hearing an ACDC song and- You'd be surprised how often you hear an ACDC song. Um, I ACDC specifically. Um, what's the one? The you shook me all night long. Yep. When when uh my wife and I were getting married, we had like a friend of her family's like gonna he was gonna do the like run the DJing stuff because we just had like picked a bunch of music put it in a playlist and he was going to kind of control and everything and he was like hey so are there any songs you don't want to hear and I was like ACDC (laughs) nope I was like ACDC and Kiss if I hear that there's going to be a problem (laughs) see ours we did the same thing but ours was Leonard Skinner and Bob Seger there you go I mean it's kind of all the same and yeah Bob Seger I (laughs) Yeah, I'm from Michigan, and I'm sorry. I don't like Bob Seger, I don't play Euchre, and I don't like Burner, so. You like American music. We like American music. I like American music. Okay, so ACDC, Back in Black, yep. uh, a great thing to be playing soccer to, certainly, sure. when you were a young sure. woman. Yeah. Back in 1991 is great. 
And then the other one was the Violent Femmes, Why Do Birds Sing? And what a dichotomy. Right. And so I'm like, what, 13 years old. And I had never heard of the Violent Femmes before. I, I didn't know Blister in the Sun. And but I loved the song American Music, which I think is the first song on that album. And I I just remember like, what is this folky rock? What is this? Yeah, I had they, no idea. They are uh, very unique and like I don't know if I don't know of any other band who can pull off that kind of a sound. No, and I feel like every song is just so unique with them. So we would listen to this Why Do Birds Sing literally every day, Monday through Friday. And I can still like hear it, like one song transitioning to the next. Um, but this song I just really liked. And I, I kind of, it was kind of my first experience with kind of Americana music. Sure. And... I liked it so much that uh, we had an English assignment where we had to bring in a song and play it for the class. And it was one of those things where you're supposed to pick out some grammatical context of the lyrics or whatever. And I brought in this one and the whole class was, what the heck is this? This is awful. (laughs) And I... You know, they already make fun of me because I like the cure, and now they're like making fun of me because I brought oh, in this um, oh. yeah, American music. I can imagine bringing in the Violent Femmes to like any middle school class and then trying to talk about it. That sounds, yeah. But it was so rough. funny because these are the same kids who, a couple of years later in high school, will discover Blister in the Sun. Yeah. Like it's new and yeah. think it's like the best song ever. But I. It's one of those songs, uh, American music is just one of those songs where I hear it and I'm immediately taken back to a soccer field in Plainwell, Michigan in 1991. So I assume that this has, does this one have something, anything to do with your relocation to the Twin Cities or is this just kind of happenstance that it is early on in the set and it is a band from 
this area? This is just happenstance. Okay. Um, so left of the dial, I, so this would have been high school, probably like I was a junior, senior in high school. And I knew of the replacements, like, like I'd heard of them and I'm sure I had heard, you know, can't hardly wait and I will dare. Um, but I didn't really know the replacements. I had no idea they were from Minneapolis. Um, I had no idea about their legendary shows where they're either amazing or they're just terrible. (laughs) But I had a friend in high school and he and I would listen to music and just hang out. And he liked two bands. He liked Queensryche and he liked The Replacements. That, again, is quite... And I'm sure he liked other bands. Quite quite a dichotomy. That's... Um, Wow. That's so different. That's such a... Wow. Right. I can't... (laughs) Remember, we're like... We're in a small town in southwest Michigan. I get... Yeah, I guess contextually, I should keep that in mind. Right. I don't know how he stumbled across the replacements. And, you know, I wish I still, I knew where he was. I have no idea where he is now. But um, I remember being in his room and him like, what do you want to listen to? And I said, well, not Queensryche. <laughs> and he put on Tim. And I I just remember hearing Left of the Dial and... um the lyrics got me and I think it's really it's the line little girl keep growing up playing makeup wearing guitar and I was like wow that's so clever and it's in that song there's like that split second where right before Paul sings that line that just gets me every time I think it's like music magic So there's a couple seconds right before that line, little girl keep growing up, playing makeup, wearing guitar, that just gets me. And I just, I call it music magic because I don't know what else to call it. Do you feel like 
I think I know. Like, I mean, I know the feeling that you're talking about. I think, or I think I have tried to articulate this feeling before and it's very difficult to explain, but it's like, you're not weak in the knees and it's not knocking the wind out of you, but it's like a jolt. It's like an emotional jolt that kind of like brings you just kind of like takes you down just a little bit. And then you have to like recover and then get back into the song. Yeah. Like I will literally, when I hear that song, I will wait and wait and wait for that moment. And then it's like, Oh my gosh, I got to go back and listen because I wasn't even listening to the beginning of the song. I just was waiting for that moment. And when I hear it, I just think it's whatever they did. It's genius to me. And I don't know enough about making music to say what they did, but I'm like, I wonder, it makes me wonder how many takes it took and was that moment supposed to be there? You know? I'm going to have to go back. When we're done, I'm going to have to actually sit and with my headphones and listen to this. So I like the guitars are, yeah, getting stronger and then they kind of, and then the drums kick in. But it's tough. I, mean, I call it like musical moments is yeah. like the best way I could describe it when I was trying to explain it. I don't remember. I was writing something. That's a great term for it. And it's like this feeling that you get when like a certain part of a song just hits you harder than you're anticipating. Yeah. And it does that every time you listen to it. It's not just like the first kind of like, oh, wow, I really like this. It's like years can go by and you put the song on and it still has that kind of impact right yes that's exactly what it is it's exactly i'm glad it's not just me that has that then because i i i I wasted a bunch of time trying to write out an explanation and i don't even remember what song i was talking about but there was an album that came out last year and i was trying to get into why this specific moment was sticking out so much to me and that was like the best way i could yeah. get into it and yeah. I think people get what like I think there are certain people who are gonna, are gonna get what that means and I think that's kind of like thoughtful listening I feel like, like we've had this discussion maybe not me and you but I've had this discussion with people on Twitter where we go down this replacements road and we start talking about some of the songs and I've mentioned that moment in left of the dial and people are like, yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> so I know, I, I know I'm not alone out there. Okay. But I just, and, and then, you know, as I dove into the replacements more growing up, it was, man, some of these lyrics are really clever. And it, I think it was like the first time where I was, which is weird to say about the replacements, but I was really listening to the lyrics.
And I was really happy to see this on here because Radiohead is my favorite band and True Love Waits, especially this version of True Love Waits, is one of my favorite songs of theirs. So, and this is from the the live EP that they put out in 2001. It was stuff from the 2001 tour that was recorded. So, um, I guess where are we at in your life now and then kind of like are you a big radiohead person how did how are we getting into this song here so uh this would have been 2001 and i was living in northern michigan like the northern lower part of the peninsula and i was working as a news producer at a cbs station where i met who would become my husband colin and he was a huge radiohead fan um, I was a Radiohead fan. Like I listened to, uh, I listened to like the Benz until I like the CD just stopped playing. Yeah. Um, so I was a Radiohead fan. And so we, this would have been like, I don't know, November of 2001, we had just met and we went out one day and he bought the CD and we were listening to it in his car in his parents' driveway at like two in the morning making out. (laughs) And it was, I feel like for both of us, and we both said this later, that it was the moment where we both knew that we were going to get married. Um, And we listened to the CD like all the time. And then when we got married in 2003, True Love Waits was our like first dance song. And was it this this version of True Love Waits? It was Waits? this version because, you know, this was like the only version that really existed at the time. And, you know, it's so funny because I don't even really know what that song's about. Well, that's, uh, the, that's the argument with any Radiohead song is, right. what are these songs, any of these songs even about? Especially the, it, the further you get into their, their canon. But Tom York's just delivery on this, this version of True Love Waits is just so like I feel so heartfelt and like lovely and we both love this song and it became like kind of our song No 
And then I didn't listen to this really for years. Like I kind of go in and out with Radiohead. Sure. And I hadn't heard this song in years until I was in my car and it was 2016, I think. And they actually released it on an album. Yeah, they re so the history with this song, and I mean, I've done a deep enough dive on Radiohead because they've been my favorite band. There's so many iterations of this, and I don't know if you've ever like listened to any bootlegs or were introduced to any of the attempts that they abandoned with this song. No. But it was written after the bends, but before OK Computer. There are some very crude live recordings where it is similar with just Tom playing the acoustic guitar. But then there's like this weird little synthesizer thing that comes in from Johnny Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's not great. Like it's a little whimsical. It doesn't, it kind of takes you out of the song a little. Um, there is a slowed down full band version that was demoed for okay computer that they never did a proper recording of. And there's like, again, just like very crass recordings of these floating around online that you can hear if you're at all interested. There is a version that they tried for Amnesiac. And I don't, this was released actually properly released on the Kid A Amnesiac reissue that came out last year. It is the music from a different song, like a very intense, jittery electronic beat and like pulsating rhythm that they ended up using for something else with Tom singing these lyrics over the top of it. It's very, it's very strange. It was a lot for me to kind of wrap my head around when I, when they released this, cause I was like, y'all just keep playing with the song. And like, it was fine the first time you did it and you just keep deconstructing it again and again. Um, So go ahead. I feel like, when I heard it again in the car, all these years later, it was whatever they put out that the yeah, current a, was playing. Yeah, it's and, the last track on a moon-shaped pool, which is the last album that they did in 2016. Yeah, and I remember Colin and I just looked at each other and we're like, this sounds familiar. <laughs> and it it really took us a minute to realize what it was. Because yeah, I think every- it had been so long since we both had kind of listened to True Love Waits. It's, I mean, every time they've attempted, it's been a dramatic reimagining from the original, like, guitar demo of it. So, like, the version on a moonshape pool is especially difficult just contextually because that album was written and recorded after Tom York divorced and his wife got divorced and, like, around the time that she passed away. Right, so like that. the 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 very like sparse piano version of it that kind of plays as like an 
almost like an epilogue to that album mm. is more haunting than kind of like the pleading and like yeah. sincerity. That's a good way to put acoustic, it. Like yeah. the acoustic version is very pleading. Yeah. And so I saw him play this. Uh, I saw, I've seen Radiohead once um, and they played in Chicago. And so I'm, I'm from Illinois originally. And before I went to college, they were touring and they played in Chicago and a couple of friends and I went and one of the encores began with him coming back out on stage and playing this song and introducing it as being like, this one's been kicking around since OK Computer. We still don't know what to do with it. And I was, you know, 18. I had Aww. never heard this before. I was like, yo, my man is going through some things up there. Like, let's fucking go. And yeah. then uh, I figured out what song it was. And then a couple months later, they put up the EP. And I was grateful to have a good recording of it. Because it had been just heavily bootlegged before. And it all sounded terrible. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's like... It's of their songs and of the like kind of mythology around a lot of their songs. I think this one has the deepest mythology and kind of like the most iterations that they kind of cycled through before they finally figured out how to record it for an album. Right. And I wouldn't even consider this like a classic Radiohead track at all. No, it's like a deep cut or like a fan right. favorite because it's, I mean, they don't play it often. I mean, they don't, they haven't toured in a long time, but they don't play it often. When he was playing it acoustic, it was only as an encore during the Amnesiac tour. It was not like a regular song in their set. So it's, I think a, there's probably casual Radiohead fans who don't even like, are like, I don't know what True Love Waits is or they aren't aware that it has like a 25 year history before they were even able to get it to where they needed it to be. It's crazy to think about that. They had the song kicking around for so long. one Liz Fair classic tune classic album um iconic in the early 90s indie rock scene uh how did you so where are we if we're kind of moving into the early 2000s where like where are we in your life with this one so um Colin and I are probably engaged um we're living together um much to the dismay of some family members, I'm sure. <laughs> um, 
I, you know, I, I knew Liz Fair casually. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, I, I remember Supernova and I'm sure I, Polyester Bride. But I never went, I just, I feel like I never went down that Liz Fair road that many people did. Because um, I feel like Exile came out when I was in early high school. And I, I just don't think that I had any exposure to that. Yeah, this is from 93. Right, I'm this is her first album. So yeah. Colin was a huge Liz Fair fan. Like, huge Liz Fair fan. And... We would have, like, he would have, he had, like, all these bootlegs. Like, I'm not joking. He probably had 20 Liz Fair bootlegs. Wow. Is, that's yeah. dedication. Um, so I remember listening to this with him and just being blown away by the whole album in general. Like, some of the themes of it. Like, I just never heard some songs like that before. Like, Flower. I just never heard anything like that. But six foot one was like it. I I think that that is like one of the best opening tracks of any album I've ever. It heard. is. It really is. Yeah. And when I finally kind of dove down this like Liz Fair rabbit hole in my early twenties, you know, I learned that she had written this album as a response to the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street. And I think a lot of people kind of dismissed that. Like, how is that even possible? But when you really listen to it, like six foot one is her response to like meeting Mick, J like seeing Mick Jagger on the street. Yeah. And after like after a night of drinking or whatever with another woman and the lyrics, I was just like, wow, these are I feel like when I listen to Liz Fair, I'm getting little snippets of conversations or moments in people's lives. And I don't know if I feel that way with other artists. I feel like every song of hers is kind of just like a little snippet or an observation of something that seems so small, but really has bigger themes. And I kept standing six feet one instead of five feet two. still listen to a lot of Liz Fair? I mean, I know she was inactive for a long time and she put an I album do. out kind of late last year. I will, I admit that, you know, uh, when I was discovering Liz Fair, so this would have been like 2002, 
ish, 2002-2003. Perfect time because she released that self-titled album. Oh yeah, all those big singles. I was like, wow, it. what's this? Um, <laughs> but I, you know, and I, I lived in Northern Michigan where my choices of radio were country, classic rock, and pop. I exclusively listened to Liz Fair in my car from like 2002 to 2007. Like that is what I listened to. Like bootlegs, albums, anything. So I, I'm really deep on the Liz Fair world. Um, and I think I did wear myself out for a while, but I will always go back to when I don't know what I want to listen to. If I just want to put something on. Sure. I go to Liz Fair. Did you did you read her memoir? I did. Is it good? Yes. Okay. If you li- I think it is. Okay. <laughs> I, I like it. I think she's is a it, great writer. Okay. Because I, I mean, I don't know if you, as somebody who writes, I don't know if you struggle with this, if you try reading books, memoirs, whatever, by musicians. Yes. I don't sometimes, generally like them. Sometimes they're fucking terrible. And that like you're like a musician that you like or are interested in or have an admiration for can be a great performer, a great songwriter, whatever. They are a terrible storyteller or they're a good storyteller, but they're not a good writer. Yes. Okay. But her book does not sidesteps that. She's a great writer. And I think she's one of those people. She just tells great stories. And I think she's just so interesting because she doesn't, when she started, she was not really a musician. She was a, an artist. Like she, I think she painted or worked in like drawing charcoal with charcoal. Yeah, I d- I don't know much about her background. I just know so like she's from Chicago originally, and growing up in Illinois, we lived maybe about three hours west of Chicago. And every Sunday, my dad would walk down to the corner gas station and buy a copy of the Sunday Chicago Tribune. And my parents would spend the whole day reading through it. And he would always go out and buy the albums that were mentioned in like the arts section, especially in like the nineties. We, it was, just, I don't know what it was, but so in late 1993 and in 94, it was like uh, this Liz Fair album, which once they got this home, once my dad bought this and got this home, Oh, I was boy. not al- I was not allowed to look at the liner notes because I was Ooh. pretty young at this time, and they did. I don't think they played it a ton when I was around, but but I mean, we had Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream, like right when it came out. That's it was just cool. like, yeah, it was just very wild. That, like that, my dad was uh, you know copping all these like very independent artists coming out of Chicago because he like read a review in the paper. It was just all based oh, on I that. It was that. like, Sorry. there's no way to preview. Like there's no iTunes preview. There's no streaming. Like we don't, we are nowhere near a college radio station where he might've heard any of this. He's just like, Oh, Hey, I need to run to the store. Cause I need to get the smashing pumpkins album. And I'm like, I'm 11. Why are you telling me this? Who is this band? <laughs> I bet when they got Exile and Guyville home, there was a little bit of, ooh, boy. Yeah, I, like, I didn't really, it didn't really, I didn't really piece it together at the time. I, they were just, my mom and dad were kind of like, hey, don't look in this CD box. Don't play this, whatever. When I was much older, I got a copy of this and I was like, oh, I understand why now. Yeah. Like, I totally get it. 
but you know, as a female, you know, when I'm discovering this in my early mid twenties, I'm like, I, it, this was like the first time that I felt like a female musician was singing songs that were things that I maybe thought about, but never said. Yeah. Well, there is something very empowering about all this. It just like, yeah, and you I have to like, you have to find it at the right age and right time. Right, exactly. And I guess I just never went down that Liz Fair rabbit hole in the mid '90s because I I didn't Supernova was not like my jam. <laughs> um, I mean I, I like it, but you know it was just it wasn't enough for me to go seek out her music. Yeah, was that an and, MTV Buzzbin clip? Do you remember oh, the Buzzbin? Yes. I. I'm glad that I like a lot of people I know don't didn't have cable when they were growing up. So it's like, it's nice to talk to somebody who had cable oh, and watched a lot of MTV. MTV. I still, I still follow like Kurt Loader and John Norris on Twitter. Oh, I didn't know John Norris had Twitter. I loved MTV news. Yeah. You always knew some shit was about to go down when the MTV news <laughs> brief came up. Yeah. Plunging ahead here into the the you know early mid two thousands, uh, Arcade Fire, neighborhood number one. Now, is this one that you found at the time that it came out, or how did are you big Arcade Fire person? What is your kind of history with this, and where are we now in your, I, in your life? I am not a big Arcade Fire person. I know that I think they're from Canada. Like yes, I don't, yeah. I just don't really know a ton about them, and. I, you know, I've alluded to this, but I feel like I lived in a very musical black hole part of the country for, from like 2000 to 2015, <laughs> you know, no, Northern Michigan doesn't have a lot of access to indie rock. Sure. And I, honestly, like I didn't discover a lot of bands until Pandora came out or like these streaming services. Because I just, they didn't play them on the radio. I didn't have cable. So I don't, I just didn't have access to this stuff. And I, I think this album came out in like 2004. 
Yeah, end of 2004, I think, is when it came. I don't know. I got into a friend of mine turned me onto it in college. So it would have been like 2005 when I heard it. But yeah, it's like that mid 2000s big indie rock boom. So I did not, I had heard of Arcade Fire, but I had no idea who they were. And I didn't even hear any of their music until 2008 when I was pregnant with my son. And a friend of mine in California kept saying, you need to listen to this band. And I was like, I don't have access to it. Like, I don't, <laughs> like, you're not understanding me. Like, I, um, and so she sent me a mix CD with a bunch of Arcade Fire songs on it. There you go. I was like, you got to burn some CDRs. Like, That's old how. School. Yeah. And I probably still have this CD somewhere. But um, so I'm pregnant with my son and I would have been only like a couple months pregnant, but I knew I was pregnant. And this song, Neighborhood Number One, came on. And I, the way I can describe my reaction to the song is this is probably one of the very few songs that most times when I listen to it, I actually have an emotional, physical reaction. I will start crying when I hear this song. can't explain why um i feel like i want to crawl into this song and live this life 
And I don't know why that is, but it's like the music starts kind of slow and it builds and it's about these kids who run away and then they, um, they look back and they're like, they, what's the line? Like we uh, forgot the names that we used to know. And then we think of our parents, what the hell happened to them? Yeah. That line just, it kills me. It makes me teary. And I, I, I remember like listening to it with Colin in the car and I would just keep, we'd listen to it and I'd go back and I would have to listen to it again over and over and over. And he's like, why are you doing this? And I said, <laughs> I don't know. And I thought that he's like, oh, you're just pregnant. It's probably some hormonal thing. But even to this day, I will listen to the song and I will have the same reaction. And I don't know what it is. Is it only this song from them? It's only this song. I mean, there's some other songs that I like, um, but this song is the one that gets me every time. Every time. And I just, I think about that moment. Like, I don't know if it was like, I don't know if it was a pregnancy thing. I I mean, if it's still uh, doing something to you now, I doubt it. And I think it's one of those songs, like it hit me when it needed to hit me. And it just, it just stays there. Yeah. 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 No, there, that is that for sure. That, I mean, I have a handful of those songs too, um, where you're like, remember the moment. And then that just kind of, that feeling follows you through time, whether you want it to or not. And I don't know, maybe it's the imagery I get when I listen to the lyrics of it. Um, and I think it's about two kids that have a really hard childhood and it, I did not experience that. Like I had a great childhood. So it's, I'm not, I don't think I'm relating to them, but. It is. I mean, at this point in their career, this is their, their first full length. They were a very literate band. Um, I don't think that's the case anymore, but they're the lyrics on funeral and on neon Bible are all like hyper literate and like very, very evocative yeah and it just like puts you into this world that they've created whether it is like i mean all their albums kind of have like a concept that are tie them all together like funeral i think has a loose concept connecting it um but yeah it puts you in that world whether it's like a four minute song or the whole album like you are in it with them and like yeah you're a part of it and it it can be a, something that you know nothing about, but you you kind of they make you feel that, and it's like kind of manipulative, but it's also like it's okay because yeah. it's like creating this, like it's creating this sensation that then that like that just sticks with you, and that's like why I mean that's kind of why I, that's why I talk to people about music that they like and why it, you know you have this list of songs and you have these specific memories. It's like this shit sticks with you. And so like, it's cool to hear about that. It's like cool to experience that and know other people have that too, whether it's the same song or not. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just one of those things. Like I, I was listening to this while I was getting ready and like building this playlist for this podcast and hearing it while I'm walking the dog and I just have tears like running down my face, like walking down the sidewalk. I'm like, Oh, good thing. I got sunglasses on. Um, yeah. Every time, every time 
but and it's the only song that I can think of that I have that kind of emotional physical reaction to. Okay, this next one's gonna as be best, hard as for much me. as as much as I I, I kind of gleaned as much when you had. Do you know the posted. story of the song to me? <clears throat> no, you had okay. posted something about it on Twitter the other day, and you like I I I have I have a feeling I know, but I also I'm like you have a big emotional connection to this one, and I saw I saw it in your thing, and then I saw it was on your playlist, and I'm like. Oh, we're about to get into some things. And we're about to go down a really fun, happy road. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So the Postal Service, the group, not the agency that delivers your mail. Uh, <laughs> so this is from 2003, but I'm going to guess that we're at a different point in your life here with where the song falls. Yeah. So... um I love the Postal Service and I came across them, I think probably through Pandora, once I finally got back on the musical grid. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I love Death Cab for Cutie. I, I think Jenny Lewis and Rilo Kiley can do no wrong. Um, so I, and I just love this album. I call it the Bleep and Bloop album. It is very bleepy and bloopy. That's, I mean, that's that's the vibe of the whole thing. And this is one of those albums where I can just listen. To, I've always been able to just listen to it. And every track to me is great. There's no throwaway tracks on this album. I think that the, I mean, if we're talking about like best track one side ones with like Liz Fair, I think that the District Sleeps Alone is probably mm-hmm. one of mine in terms of, of the yeah. last kind of 20 that years. Keyboard of coming in. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That low tone and the way they build it up. And um, I mean, yeah, I, I loved that song the first time I heard it. And if I think about it now, I'm like, yeah, that still hits. Like, and I, I always find it really surprising when there's people who you talk about the postal service and they're, they say, wait, what? And you just <laughs> get so excited because you get to introduce them to this amazing album. I I've never had that. I mean, I was in college when this came out and everybody I knew just fucked with this album so hard. And we were all just like, 
oh, it's a guy from Death Cab and he made it uh, trading tapes yeah, through the postal service. And it was just such a it was such a touchstone of my friend group. So oh, and I, I mean that. since since then, um, I mean, I don't I haven't encountered anybody where I've had to be like, are you familiar with, you know, it's like you fuck with Death Cab? I, you know, listen to this. <laughs> right, right. Or you want to hear something really good that will just blow your mind. <laughs> you know uh, that new sound you've been looking for? <laughs> here it is. It's from 2003. <laughs> yeah. So this, um, I, I played this album a lot when Colin and I were married. Like it's one, of, it's another one of those albums. If I don't know what I, what I'm in the mood for, I just put this on. And I don't have a, up until a certain point, I did not have any kind of real connection to the song, Such Great Heights. And Colin would always be like, oh, we got to listen to the postal service again. You know, um, <laughs> And I'm like, yes, we do. <laughs> um, and then in April of 2018, uh, Colin was killed in a cycling accident here in Minneapolis. And um, this would have been like the day after his funeral. Um, I needed to get out of the house. My son went back to school. My parents were still here staying with me. My house was finally somewhat empty for the first time in over a week. 
and I said, I'm going to go for a run. I just needed to get some fresh air and be alone. And I live near Lake Nokomis in South Minneapolis. And I would run around that lake probably like four or five times a week for a couple of years before Colin died. And I'm going around the lake and I have my headphones in and the song comes on. And the only way I can describe it, and I, I don't want to get too kind of like hokey here. I don't, I ne- I don't necessarily believe in heaven and hell. I have no idea what happens to us after we die. I think we just, we just die. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get hokey though, this is a safe space. This if, is, like, this that's is, where, this where, is where it's going to happen. Okay. So the song comes on and I physically have to like sit down like there's a bench and I have to like sit down and like my heart is pounding out of my chest and I feel like in a way like it was Colin's way of saying hello like yeah I always like joked with you for wanting to listen to this album all the time but hi like I'm here yeah and um which Okay, so that's that's one day. And then the next day I'm at Target with my parents and I'm off like getting a couple things and the song plays at Target. At Target. Which Target are you at that has the luxury of music playing though, for real? Uh, it was the Target off of University Ave in St. Paul. Okay. Because the one in my town doesn't doesn't play music over here. No, I honestly don't know if the one in Richfield plays music because I don't really think about it. But yeah, this song came on while I was at Target. That's wild. Yeah, in the thank you card section, and it started coming on all the time, and like, like I would take pictures. Like every time it would come on, like when I was in the car or like. It would come on while I was telling Alexa to play my music, which, you know, I have thousands of songs that she plays from, and this would be like the first one that she'd play. And, um, you know, like this past year on the third anniversary of his death, I turned my music on and it's the first thing that plays. And, you know, maybe that's happenstance, but it makes me feel good just to yeah. that that's him dropping in and just saying hello. I was just going to say, does it, how hard is that? Like, does it get easier or was it difficult at first? At first and then it was got really easier? difficult. I, okay. I feel like, like there was one night when it was like 10 o'clock at night and my son and I are coming home from seeing like some Marvel movie in the theater. And it came on as I was like pulling the car up to the house. Like it, like it felt like it just, he just needed to sneak it on in there before I got out of the car. <laughs> um, but it's easier now, but sometimes this will come on and I, I just, honestly, I have to skip it. Yeah. Uh, I'm just not in the mood. Sure. Um, well, that's, I mean, it's a lot to carry and it's a lot to carry with one, like one specific song. And yeah, you don't always, you don't always have to be in the place to accommodate that or like be right. open to it. 
I appreciate it every time it seems to come on randomly, but there's sometimes I just can't. Yeah. I just don't want to listen to it right now. So, but it, you know, you do what makes you happy and it makes me happy just to think that that could be him saying hi. In my dreams, I see myself hitting a baseball in a greenfield somewhere near a freeway. I'm all tan and smiling and running from third base. And it's hot and the kids keep on playing the driving game. And they're singing the same goddamn refrain. And the sky's a bluish gray. And it's become just like a So we are now, I guess, what, where are we now in your, 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 cause I mean, you've organized these chronologically or, or in a sense, autobiographically. And so what, what, what year have we fallen into? Cause this song is, is one of the earlier Rilo Kylie songs. Yeah. So, you know, this song fits in here after Colin's death, but it also could have gone before, um, I think I said, you know, like I discovered Rilo Kylie after Pandora came into existence. <laughs> and I, I honestly, I fell in love with Rilo Kylie and then Jenny Lewis as a solo, solo performer after. Um, and unfortunately, I feel like Rilo Kylie was breaking up while I was discovering their music. That sounds and, about right. Yeah. Which is a huge bummer to me. Um, and I, I love this song and I don't think that this is like a super popular song for them, even with hardcore fans. I feel like the stuff off this album that people love is like better son daughter or with arms outstretched. This song I feel get like gets overlooked and, but I started listening to this after Colin died um, because there's a line in the song that she says, I wish you could see me from over there. I'm not a failure, I swear. And I feel like that just spoke to me in those months after Colin died because I, this is really stupid to say, but other widows I've talked to say the same thing. Is like, you just want to have this appearance that I'm okay I can do this by myself. You want the people around you to think that you are strong, even though you're not. Yeah. And I feel like I wanted people around me to not think that I was a failure when I, so I didn't want to ask for help. Like I didn't, I thought I could do it all myself. And to an extent I could, Um, which is such a stupid thing to say because when your partner dies, you do need help. Like you need help with a lot of things. And I was just too scared to ask for that. And I was 
so concerned about how I appeared to other people. knows what this song is even about I don't even know but some some of the lyrics from it just really kind of just resonated with me at that moment yeah I was I this was a song I was not familiar with from them and I was fascinated at kind of the musical directions it takes oh my gosh as it, it, as it unfolds and then it you, just keeps changing and, and I was very surprised by that it's like keyboards and then it's slow and then it's rock and then it's like yeah. a anthem. Yeah. Um, I always love this song ever since the first time I heard it. I love, this is my favorite Rilo Kylie album. Um, I, I mean, I was aware of them prior to under the black light and I got really into that album because at the time I thought it was really impressive how they, understood the history of contemporary popular music and could deconstruct it and then reconstruct it into that album yeah because it's like a little bit of 70s little bit of 80s some early 90s fm r&b it's all in there and at the time i was just like wow this is so impressive and like since then there's been other artists that do the same thing and do it a little better but at the time I was just blown away by it all. And yeah, they were probably like all hated each other at that point. And I think the band kind of folded shortly after that album came out. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I like the, their early kind of more guitar driven indie rock stuff. I, I never really went back to. Yeah. I, I feel like this is one of those albums where it's pretty dark cool sign me up then i should probably check this out later that's why we love it right um (laughs) but no i this song though it's just you're right it's like it builds and builds and 
there's like different parts of it and you don't really know what you're listening to. Yeah. That was the thing I was listening to this at, at, <laughs> um, at lunch today. And I was just like, wait, what is going on? Is this still the same thing? And yeah. We've reached the last one. The Joy Formidable. Where are we now with with our timeline? So we are in 2018. Okay. And my husband is my husband has died. And I'm really, really fucking sad. But I am dating someone. And so this would have been. Uh, October of 2018, October, November. Okay. And I started dating someone who I had worked with at a newspaper back when I lived in Michigan before I moved to Minneapolis. Um, We had been good friends while we worked together. Like we'd have lunch together and stuff. And just, you know, kind of happened that we started dating and he flew out to Minneapolis and it was his first time here. And we went to a Joy Formidable show at the Turf Club for something to do. And we both, <laughs> like, I had heard of them. Like, I, I was like, do you even like, did you even like this band? Or were you yeah, like, yeah, so, sure, that's a thing. It's a, it's a, it's a week night. Let's go. <laughs> so he had recommended, he knew of them. So he, um, growing up, he was in, he's been in bands for a lot of off and on. For most of his life, he was in a punk band when he like college in 20 year old, his 20s. He was in a punk band. Um, so he was familiar with the Joy Formidable. I had heard like their song Warring on the current. So I, I kind of knew who they were. And we went to the show and they played This Ladder is Ours. And it's one of those songs where where I'm listening to the lyrics where she talks about, you know, we can be anybody else. Um, 
you know, this is where everybody turns out right in the end. And it was just one of those moments where I thought, you know what, this might, I might be okay. I might, I might be happy again. And um, this kind of became our song. And then in 2020, we got married. In, in, a, pan, in a whole ass pandemic? In a pandemic. A- in, our, in my backyard. Like, <laughs> yeah, we had, the judge came out and it was just us and my parents and my son and we're married. And this is kind of our song. And it was just kind of one of those things that spoke to me in that moment that I listened to it and I was like, you know what? I, I think I can be happy. I think I will be okay. So. Dang. Yeah. It kind of, um, I mean, it's one of those songs, like I just, it makes me happy when I hear it. Um, I still have a lot of, I'm still have the sads like all, like every day, like sure. Grief. Oh yeah. The grief never goes away, and that's really hard. That knowing that I have to carry that forever, but um, yeah, I can also be happy. two things at once um like you can walk and chew gum at the same time you can be happy and sad at the same time too that's hard it's a really hard concept for people who have not experienced grief to understand i mean i this is this is a this is a conversation that i've uh began with my a friend of mine a number of years ago we were trying to we were talking about how joy and grief can happen at the same time or you can be in them at the same time Mm-hmm. It's a conversation that we've never been able to finish. And it's something that I think about regularly in terms of just kind of like how you can make space for both of those. Yeah. And I think it's a conversation that I think we all need to have because I would have been much <laughs> more prepared 
well, I don't think you can ever prepare for someone's death, even when it's coming. Yeah. Um, and mine happened, it was an accident. So it wasn't, I didn't plan for that. I never thought at 40 years old, I'd be a widow. Um, but yeah, I feel like we don't talk about grief and loss. And if we did, I think our world would be a much better place because we would understand it better. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's what my whole, I wrote a whole memoir about this. So. I was going to say, this is, this, now that we've reached the end of, man, you're good. This, now that we've reached the end of the, the tunes, the great segue to, to talk about the book, because you've got a book coming out. Um, it's a, it's being printed from a local publisher. Is that correct? Yeah. It's a Minnesota publishing house, which I was super excited about. And, um, yeah, it's about a really, really shitty thing that happened to me and my son. And we somehow survived and we cried a lot. And we also laughed a lot. Like there's a whole chapter about me accidentally washing some of my husband's ashes down the drain on accident. Um, But it's, you know, like life is funny sometimes too. Like it doesn't always have to be sad. And I, I feel like I needed to write a book to explain to a lot of people out there that grief is okay. Like we're all going to experience it. Yeah. We can talk about it. You don't have to like, I feel like a lot of people tried to avoid conversations with me about Colin after he died because they didn't want to, they didn't want to make me feel sad, which is hilarious because I already felt sad. Yeah, I was like, it can't make it any worse. <laughs> right. Like... So, um, yeah, so the book is something that will make you cry and it will make you laugh and it will make you feel okay. Like, like life goes on and it sucks, but um, we're all going to experience it and things, can, good things can come to you. So with the book, I mean, it's coming out this month. Um, and it's available. Where can people get it? Yeah, so uh, the publisher is Black Hat Press. And I think it's blackhatpress.com. You can pre-order it and I'll sign it for you. And then um, I think you can always order it from there. And I think it will be in local bookstores after that. Okay. And so, I mean, it's hard to promote anything right now because we are still living oh and i am the worst the world's worst person at (laughs) self-promotion like i i i literally have family members who don't even know that a book i wrote is coming out so um you gotta get you gotta do shameless self-promotion it's like it's not fun and sometimes it feels a little like eh, i don't know but i just i mean put it out there if people are interested cool if not whatever um But with the book, I mean, obviously it's dicey right now with the Rona, but are you doing any events to promote it or like readings or like what, what other projects are you working on? So the on? plan is, is that I will do some, uh, in-store like book store appearances and some readings and, um, it's kind of waiting until spring. A lot of the okay. stores are kind of waiting to see what happens with COVID. Okay. Um, but I'm really hoping to do some of those locally in Minnesota and then go back to Michigan and do some there for sure. And if not, I'll, I'll do it online. Okay. I was like, I've been to enough zoom readings that I'm like, right. I know. I feel like 
it is it's, it really has been great to be able to continue on with those things in that way um like at least we've had some kind of like live performances of some kind during the pandemic but yeah i am really getting tired of watching things on a computer screen yeah i mean it's not the same but it's it's in some cases with some of these events it's been really great for me to watch authors present and speak that otherwise I wouldn't have had the chance to because they didn't have like there wouldn't have been yeah. a date in this area. Right. So like it's been cool to drop in on stuff like that because they're just like open to the public. Yeah. But I mean there's no I mean replacing going to an actual event and seeing that person and like maybe getting to talk to them afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um so that I I mean the times that I have signed up for something I've just been a little like man it would be cool if I could be near this person and like actually like that they weren't reading from like a room in their house and that I'm not just like on my couch watching this don't you feel like you're kind of intruding a little bit yeah like I know that they you know they sign up to do that but I just feel like I watched like a Liz Fair did a live thing like it was like a year ago where she played some songs from her house and I just felt so kind of awkward like looking it at has been, living rooms I mean, and stuff. It has been, some of them have been weird like uh, the couple of book events I've, I've done, um, Hanif of Durakib has done a number of things but he has like a special part in his house where he goes to do it and just has like a blank wall behind That's him with like, a sh- with like a shelf that he puts records on and so like yeah. he'll talk about the records that he's put up there and then he just like reads from this desk that he's at so it's not just like other parts of his house where his like dog is trotting around Here, I'm or in the living room. whatever my yeah dog. yeah um but other people it's like i mean there are people like you know family members will interrupt something when they're taping like i've seen that and or, or like, the kid yeah. comes in and like needs yeah. a slip signed or a granola bar yeah yeah Yeah. so but i'm glad you're gonna try to get out and do do a couple of things and and like get the book out and and like i'm excited to read it i'm really like oh thank you i i'm excited to finally get out in the world i have it feels like it's been a long time since i wrote it but it really hasn't been but i was like when did you start when did you start working on it i started on it literally like a couple weeks after colin died and then i had to stop because i just couldn't do it yeah anymore and then the pandemic happened and I remember thinking, Oh, I'm going to get so much stuff done. I got, <laughs> I didn't do anything for the first year of the pandemic. Like I, I think I just sat on my couch and, um, but then I, I kind of got in gear and I, I wrote a, like probably 70% of it. I had to go back and throw a lot of stuff out. It was just so bad, but I probably wrote about 70% of it from January of last year to july so all i did was write and i have no idea people ask me how i did it and i have no absolutely no idea i have no idea i kind of just happened i think i just needed a moment and yeah i needed to go with it and i went with it and i had a deadline i had a hard deadline and uh i made it happen and I feel like I don't, I didn't want to read it again for a long time. And now I'm going to have to start reading it again. And that's fine. I'm looking forward to it. No, that's great. I'm, I'm jazzed. I'm, I'm looking yeah, forward I to it. I want to share it with the world because I think 
it's something that can apply to anybody whether you've lost someone or not so yeah well i saw i saw like i i don't remember how i started following you on twitter but then i was like oh she's got a book coming out and i was like it's about grief <laughs> say less like i was like let's fucking go let's she's pre-order this too? We're like best yeah, was, friends now. I was like, oh, big sad girl energy. Come on. Like, yeah, let's sad gang in the building. Let's let's turn it up. Let's listen to some cure. Yeah. <laughs> I I like to joke that I'm like, oh, my workout mix is all Elliot Smith songs. Like oh, it's not that's a horrible real. mix for working out. But uh the, I made that joke once at work and people thought I was being serious. <laughs> um I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to to do this and to come up with such a thoughtful list of tunes and to tie it in with with the book and to be willing to share all this with me. Just some rando uh, from the internet who lives an hour south of you. Like, I'm very grateful for this. This has been a, like a really fun interview, and I'm I'm very thankful for your time and for the the like the the effort that you have put into all of this. So oh, thank you're you so welcome. much. This has been so much fun. I love talking about music. Thank you again to my guest today, Rachel Brom, for pulling up into the virtual building and talking with me so candidly about um, her experiences and being willing to talk about her book. The book is called Widowland. Um, It is coming out this month, the month of February 2022, unless the paper shortage becomes more of an issue than it's already been. Uh, It is available from the Twin Cities Press the Black Hat Press. You can go to theblackhatpress.com. Pre-order a copy now. If you pre-order a copy, Rachel will sign it. And how cool is that? This has been another episode. Another one, as DJ Khaled would say. Uh, another episode of the Anhedonic Headphones podcast. It is, of course, of course you know this. It is the audio extension of the award-winning music criticism and analysis website anhedonicheadphones.blogspot.com just coursing through its ninth year of long-winded poorly written think pieces that take the fun out of music writing Uh, i have been kevin krein i am your host you may follow me on social media if you so choose to i'm on instagram and twitter as at kev e fly uh and there's also a facebook page if you still fuck with facebook i don't know if a lot of people really do it's a good place to get misinformation about the pandemic and find out that like your relatives are racist or whatever but uh there's an anhedonic headphones page on facebook i only update it when there's fresh content for you to enjoy thank you again for listening i really really appreciate it uh you can subscribe to this fine podcast it's available on Spotify, the Cursed Platform. It's available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts as well. Hope you're all staying safe out there, doing the best you can. Uh, I know it is a insurmountable task some days, but here we are, showing up again, doing the work. So stay safe, keep washing your hands, keep double masking, and remember, this is the most important part, Black Lives Still Matter. <laughs>